my father's dead now. He died a long time ago, 69. But I think if he were alive and he read Powell, I think he'd be very pleased. <laughs> <He'd> be like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> really? That, could that be me? Oh my goodness, I'm fantastic. <laughs> you know, I, I think he wouldn't recognize himself, but the pal that's been portrayed in the book, I think he was, he'd think was a fantastic chap. And I uh, really wish that he, he was more like him because he's, he's not my father at all. But I think my dad would have liked to have been pal. Hi, this is the Ignoramus's Guide to Surviving Humanity. I'm Eliana Chan with my co-host uh, today for the first time, Stephen Hu, the actor and writer, Stephen Hu. Hello, and everyone. A very special guest, author Carrie Young. Hi, Carrie. Thank oh, you so hi. much for joining us. <laughs> okay. Do a little show and tell of your books. Um, oh, yes, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> they're beautiful covers so they should be seen thank you yeah, product sure. placement thank you. product yeah. placement um so uh i love this trilogy um and actually let's like do a little intro of like how you guys met which was um through the uh tv production of uh, or how would you call that? The like TV adaptation? Development. Might have been, development. Might have been TV might production. Have. Might still be. Who knows? I know. I mean, might I still be. Might still be. Like on of POW. But the thing about this trilogy, it's like all interconnected. So there's a, such a wealth of information and stories and characters in that. So it's, it wouldn't have just, but was it based just on POW? Like the adaptation development that you guys were involved in? Producer called Sue Caro as um who approached me and um it it was the first episode i think it was about 40 minutes and it was the first episode it was all based on pal that's as i as i remember it gloria and and uh, gloria wasn't yet in you know it wasn't it was all about pal as i remember it yeah okay. yes that's how it's and but i think that they i think um they picked up the options on all three books because I think there was a suggestion or an idea that maybe they were going to interweave that the TV series was going to be pal, but that they might use material from the other two books to interweave into this thing because obviously, as you say, they're all they're all connected. But I think that was I think that was the idea. But of course, we never got we never got beyond um, first base. So um, you know, who knows what would have might have might well happen next. I would love it to be made in TV series. That would be so amazing. So um, just to do a little intro into what it's about, um, it is about, I guess, how would you even describe it? It's like the Chinese diaspora of uh, Kingston, Jamaica, in Kingston, Jamaica. And it follows, um, well, three characters, because there's three different uh, books um from the 19 the late 1930s onwards and bad at dates <laughs> and it's sort of like uh about their their lives um uh in chinatown and outside of chinatown and i mean it's, it really covers so much it feels um for me being completely ignorant about jamaican history it was a really amazing sort of window into that that time, the 
politics of the time, the history of the time, and what it would might have been like to live there. So, um, but you're actually born in, you were born in Kingston, right? So uh, I was actually born in Kingston, and it's 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 really one story, but three books. So that you know, there's Pal, there's Gloria, there's Faye, who's the the, the book Shami Mountain, and it's their their intertwined story over basically the same time period. So you're right, 1938, uh, Pal, 1938 to the uh, early 80s. So, and Gloria and Show Me a Mountain are slightly different timescales, but basically within that sort of framework, covering. Um, the, the social and political history of Jamaica during that period. So there's a lot of politics, a lot of history in it. And I think people have felt that they learned a lot about Jamaica as a result of, of reading a book. So it's three, three separate books and can be read in any order. So when you say trilogy, it makes it sound like maybe you have to read one and then the other and then the other. And they're not like that. They're three completely separate stories you can read in any order, but they are linked. And once you read one, and then you realize that there's two thirds of this story that you, you've missed and then you read the others and so on. I, I, I said, um, I've said in the past that writing Pal was like writing Pal. And then writing Gloria was like doing a jigsaw because you're covering the same time period. So you've, in a sense, you've used up the history and the politics. You now have to use that same history and politics from a different point of view. And then by the time you come to write Show Me a Mountain, it's like doing a Rubik's Cube because now that's you, you're revisiting the same time period and you've got to come at it from a different angle. So it was a challenging thing to sort of pull off, but... Um, I think I think it's very enlightening for the reader who reads the same scene. So, for example, you read one scene at the beginning of Pal. You read that scene where, which was the scene that we did for the um, the the, the uh, table read, yeah, for the mm. TV series. Yeah, you, you read that scene from Pal's point of view. Gloria comes to the shop and she asks for help and so on. But in Gloria, you read that scene from Gloria's point of view, the same scene, and you realize that. Um, Powell has no understanding really of what is going on, which is quite funny because um, that's so true of him through the whole book. He, he thinks he knows what's going on, but he doesn't. So. Did you always know you were going to write a trilogy? Did you always know you're going to write the, the second and the third book? I don't know. I think, I think I had some idea that there was some kind of family saga, but I think in my mind, I mean, it never got anywhere, but I think in my mind, it, it would be more like a trilogy so that it's the next generation and so on and so forth. I hadn't conceptualized it in the way that it happened. And how it happened was that um, when Powell was sold to Bloomsbury and they invited me to afternoon tea and all of that, um, the editor, um, Helen Garner-Williams, who's actually the editor for, for all three said, um, she didn't think Pau should die at the end. <laughs> and I was like, mm, yes, I, I was wondering about that because in the version that she was basically thinking about buying, he, he dies at the end. Oh. And she's saying, I'm not sure that he should die at the end. And I said, well, I, I was thinking, I was wondering that. And I was thinking maybe um, I should write Gloria. Maybe he shouldn't die and we mm -hmm. should like tell the same story. And like, like the idea of it actually, came to fruition sitting in her office, if you know what I mean. I was like, well, maybe maybe we should do Gloria. And I always use this royal we, like it's a whole bunch of us writing the book. <laughs> and maybe we should, maybe we should um, write Gloria. And she's like, oh yes, maybe we should write Gloria. And um, nothing more was said. 
about it until you know weeks later. She suggested that um, she suggested there were some changes that she'd like to see made before she made the final decision. And she had like 14 points. Um, and she said to me, the first thing is the book's too short. I think it was 85,000 at the time. And she said, we need to get it up to a close to a hundred. And here's my 14 points. And um, I mean, she's brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant, stunning editor. And uh, I always say um, those that she said that would be 15,000 words. And that's exactly what it came to. When I did the 14 things she asked me to do, it came to exactly 15,000 words. That's how brilliant Helen mm. Darnell really is. Um, and, uh, you know, so we did the changes and, and she sort of did it. And then um, when she sent the contract through to my agent, um, saying that she was going to buy Powell, it said in the contract it was on a two book deal for Gloria. And that was that. I, I mean, considering how briefly the idea had been discussed in her office, <laughs> I was sort of surprised, delighted, but sort of surprised that this book was being completely unseen. And I was like, I. I had no idea what was going to be in Gloria. There was no, it, because it was, that, that was the conversation entirely. Uh, oh, I was thinking of doing Gloria and her going, oh yes, that'd be a very good idea. That was the whole conversation. So then I was charged with the responsibility of writing Gloria and I had no idea where to begin. Wow. Um, yeah, I, thought I, I thought you'd had a, a two book deal uh, before and you didn't know what the second book was going to be, but it was only after you decided that you weren't going to kill Pal, that he wasn't going to die. And then you discussed Gloria, and then you were offered a two book deal after. How cool is that? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then while I was in the middle of writing Gloria, they decided that um, we should do the whole thing. We should do the wife as well. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so I was offered the deal for Show Me a Mountain while I was still writing Gloria, I think. That's so, so interesting, um, too, because Faye is the, the character that. I think maybe is the most misunderstood in Pal and Gloria, at least. Um, <laughs> at least it's, she's kind of unsympathetic in a way, though I think like sort of like objectively, I can understand her situation, but the way it's written, mm -hmm. I, I hadn't that much sympathy for her. So I think it's really, um, yeah, it's actually really amazing that you, you got to do the third book and it wasn't planned beforehand. Um, it's kind of fascinating for me. Um, so that's, that was quite a challenge because um, when I wrote Powell, I had no idea I was going to write Gloria and then show him out. And when I was writing Powell, I was just writing Powell. So Faye is quite unsympathetic. And then in Gloria, halfway through Gloria, I realized I was going to have to write Show Me a Mountain. So, well, I called it Faye because I was like, Powell, Gloria, Faye, that's how it worked for me. But they decided not. But anyway, halfway through Gloria, I thought, oh, I've got to try to do something about this woman because um, she's going to be a whole book. You can't, <laughs> you got to try and, and do something. So that was quite a challenge to make Faye a more sympathetic character in Show Me a Mountain. And I think one of the things that I feel pleased about with myself is the way that I managed to pull that off. I think that most people, all people who read Power and Then Gloria uh, don't really like Faye that much. But then when you read Show Me a Mountain, it's like, because um, the editor said to me, uh, the sub-editor, not, not Helen, the sub-editor said to me that, um, and she was the same sub-editor actually for all three books, I think. Was she for Show Me a Mountain or was she the proofreader? Anyway, she was involved in all three books of sub. And um, she said to me that when she came to 
to sub or proofread Show Me a Mountain, she was prepared not to like Faye very much, but actually she's ended up liking her the most. She she was the had the most depth of character and you realize you've misunderstood her and there's so much happening in Faye. I mean, I feel like, I mean, Powell's had a lot of exposure and everybody thinks, oh, Powell's absolutely marvelous and everything. And I, I'm pleased with that, you know, so I'm, I'm pleased with the success Powell's had. But I think Faye, as a character and as a book is a much more thoughtful, uh, it's a deeper, you know, read. Yeah, I think what's interesting about it is that for me, even though, like I was saying, if she felt unsympathetic in Pow and Glorian, but to me, she already felt misunderstood in those books, like by the characters. And mm. I actually found her to be, it's almost like I recognize this as, as a person in a maybe more so than even Pow and Gloria, even, you know, before going into Show Me a Mountain, Show you know, me even before I got into it, I already like, um, I saw her, maybe I recognized that person in, in my life, like maybe from like aunts or, you know, <laughs> relatives or something like that. So yeah, I really, mm. that's why it was so great to have that book that was hers, you know, considering mm. In many ways, power and glory is kind of, I mean, it is like a love story. So you could have, you could have ended it there, you know? So, mm. yeah, I really do appreciate having that third book with Faye. Mm. She's a complex, she's a complex character and, and as a character and the complexity of her and the complexity of Jamaican politics and, you know, it, it all sort of, I mean, I, mean I, I, I feel, I mean, I don't know if, and everybody else feels this, but I feel like I was learning the trade better. You know, I, I wrote Powell and thought, oh, yes, I, I think I've learned something here. And then I wrote Gloria, and I, oh, yes, I think I've learned a little bit more. So I think when I came to write Show Me a Mountain, the, 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 the thing much as I'd learned as a writer came to the fore in that book. And I, I, I feel that um, that was an important uh, moment for me in, 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 me learning the trade if you know what I mean yeah learning the did craft your, did your process um, change at all through how you would approach writing from book to book no I mean it changed a lot during Prout during Powell when I started writing Powell I was writing it on the computer because I'd written a lot of non-fiction before like evaluation reports and stuff and I'd always done it straight on the computer but after draft four I was, I was actually down in Jamaica. I was in the hotel. I was on the, the, the veranda in the hotel and uh, they were cleaning my room and the laptop was in the safe. And I didn't feel like I should disturb, you know, housekeeping while they were busy trying to do their thing. So I got a notebook out and I started writing in a notebook. And that's when the book changed. Um, the first draft was written in perfect English and it was the daughter, Moi. Returning to Jamaica, Power died and she was like telling the story. And then I thought, why is she telling? Why isn't he telling his story? Why is she coming back after he's dead? All of this kind of stuff. So when I was sitting on the veranda down in, in Ocherias, as it turned out, um, I started writing longhand and Pow, I always say Pow, by this point, I'm now at draft four, Pow and I both know the story. And I say that Pow dictated the story to me that point in his voice and he started where the book starts and the boys were sitting in the shop that uh, that in the previous version was chapter five 
and he, for his reasons, decided that wasn't, you know, that wasn't where the book started. The book started with Gloria, you know, Gloria rides into town sort of thing. Um, so my process changed completely. Once, once I, I mean, I, before I do, did the fiction, I'd done a lot of research, you know, as a consultant, right? just like doing a PhD and that kind of research. So I brought to bear those research skills. And so I'd done a lot of research before, I think I'd like six months doing research before I even put pen to paper for PAL. So I used that same process of the research and all the post-its and the whiteboard with all the dates on, because it got more complicated because, because you wrote the timeline and then you had to write it again. And you had to make sure that the conversations that Gloria's having with Powell in Gloria is in the right timeline. There was one point when I realized she was having a conversation with him in Gloria that had occurred three years before it happened in Powell. So it was those sorts of things that had to be, you know, <laughs> you know, all sorted out as well. So the process, the research process remained the same. And um, the, the writing by hand has remained the same throughout. I, I find I'm more productive. Um, the publishing process about, if we backtrack to the journey of actually getting published, I, I think I, I, I know that that was a bit of a, a crazy journey trying to get published in the first place and that uh, there was a lot of uh, rejections and stuff. Can you talk a bit about that? Well, I got the Writers and Artists and Writers Yearbook or what's it called? Right, Artists and whatever it's called. <laughs> and um, I, I think I wrote to every agent. I may exaggerate, I make things up, but I'm for this purpose <laughs> of the story, <laughs> for the purpose of the drama. Agent in the world. I wrote for the purpose of the drama. Bring I the wrote drama. to every single, yeah, I, I got rejected by every single agent in the book. And, um, and of course they didn't tell me anything. They just went, we didn't fall in love with it, all of this kind of stuff, which isn't that helpful. So I made some changes that I thought would make it better. And I did it again and got rejected by every agent in the book again. And then someone that I knew said to me that she knew someone who'd just, I think she'd left Penguin or left Faber, I can't remember anyway. And she'd set up as a literary agent. She didn't have any clients. And uh, maybe I should try her. So I did. And I was her first client and Pal was her first sale. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that that makes me. And even though I've left that agency now, I think she still she still has my picture, I think, on the website. Perry is no longer, you know, at this agency. But I mean, and I don't begrudge her that because it was a big moment in both our lives. Do you, you think know. that um, in the beginning, those those rejections were something to do with the subject matter being something that's incongruous to them as an idea, as a concept, Chinese Jamaicans? Yeah, I think that was part of it. I mean, someone did say uh, to my agent, how realistic is this Chinese Jamaicans? Mm. A, I think there were lots of things going on. I think that people just thought, Chinese Jamaicans, well, what are you talking about? We don't know anything about, which of course is one of the reasons why I wrote POW in the first place, because people in the UK, I mean, you two would know if you're sitting in Toronto or, 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 or Miami, that wouldn't be a question. Of course they know about Chinese Jamaicans. So it's because of the UK doesn't. And it was part of the reason why I wrote the book in the first place. So I think there was an element of that. Um, and I think it was just a little bit too, uh, you, you know, unexpected, if you see what I mean, yeah. as well. But I'm, I'm, I'm working on a book 
I'm working, I'm, I'm working on a book at the moment, which is book four, which has just been rejected twice. And someone was asking me about it yesterday. And I said, well, you know, it's disappointing, but it forces you to write a better book. And I, and I think, I, I think the rejections for Powell and I mean, obviously, Gloria and Shami Martin were in a different situation because they were bought unseen. So there's no question about it. But I feel like I'm back to square one now. I feel like I'm at book four. I'm back to the beginning with Powell trying to sell a book. Is it because book four is another history that we don't really know about, which people can't comprehend? Well, I mean, I think that's partly that's partly it. Um, it's also because the, the main character is autistic and, and so there's a flatness to the narrative. So uh, the two rejections are basically said the narrative's too flat, they can't get a sense of him um, because, uh, because of the way he is. And I'm like, well, that's because he's autistic, right? <laughs> but I mean, the, the thing is, obviously I'm not gonna turn him into Powell. You know, they're like, oh, well, Powell was really vibrant, you know? Well, yes, yes, he was, you know, but this guy's autistic, you know? Um, <laughs> he's white and English and he's a, had a terrible time at boarding school and he's autistic, he's not gonna be like Powell. But I think, you know, I always say, and I say this when I'm teaching courses as well, is that even if the, the person, the feedback, well, the feedback's disappointing, but even if the feedback, they might propose a solution and it might not be the right solution, but they have put their finger on something, okay? Mm. So the fact that they say, oh, his voice is too flat and I'm like, well, he's autistic, that, that's not a justification. This is what I mean about forcing you to write a better book, yeah? And I think that was true of Powell. Um, the rejections were good because it forced me to write a better book. And I, in fact, I was doing an Avon course two weeks ago and I said to the, the people, um, don't publish the book that in a while you're going to feel embarrassed about. You think, oh, that was a poor effort. <laughs> I could have done better, but I, I published that. And now two, a year later, I feel embarrassed because that's what I'm going to be known for, actually. I could, and don't put yourself in that situation. So, I mean, I never want to put myself in that situation. And I, I am pleased that Powell, the rejections of Powell, pushed me to write a better book that 10 years later, I still feel proud of. Mm. And I think that's you know to, to, you got to do yourself justice so this current book yes I'm disappointed but I hope it pushes me to write a better book yeah that I can be proud of in 10 years time as I am of power so how do you know that it's not just like self-criticism in the moment that you're like being too self-deprecating about your book or that it will be something that you're not proud of you know in a year well I, I don't know I, I suppose experience if um I tell you what, if that first version of Pal had been published, I'd feel embarrassed now. But at the time, I mean, I, yeah, but at, at the, the time, time, at the time, yeah, but you know, you don't know what you're doing. You know, when you write your first novel, you haven't the faintest idea what you're doing. And you don't really appreciate, as much as you read other people's work, you don't really appreciate what it takes to get a first novel published. You know, you, you can't really appreciate that. Um, so I think, I mean, I think it's a shame that um, you have to do all that hard work by yourself. When you come to the second one, oh, you've got the editor and you've got the agent and you've got all these people that are helping you. But when you do the first one, you haven't got all this help. 
So, um, but that's the way it works. I mean, there's no way around that. You can't uh, have that. But um, I just, I don't know. I, 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 I don't feel, I don't have any regrets that it took so long, so many versions for PAL to be published. I have no regrets about that. And I feel that it pushed me to write a better book. So right now at this point in time, we've had two rejections on this current book and I'm trying to figure out how to, I never had a bit of a brainwave today, but um, trying to figure out to, just to try to write the best book that I, the other thing that I did with PAL is that um, you probably heard of TLC, the literary consultancy. When I got to the point of thinking, I, I think this might be the best book that I can write at this point in time. I sent it to TRC, I paid for it to be read, um, uh, had a manuscript assessment, and I got the report back, which was brilliant, and um, I made all the changes that the guy, the reader, suggested, and that was the version that was considered to be bought, and then Helen obviously suggested her changes and so on, and, and then the next version was bought by her because I made the changes she wanted. I think the other thing as well is that you know, as well as trying to understand what the feedback is, even if you might or might not agree with what they suggest the solution is, they've put their finger on something that needs sorting out. You try to understand it and you try to make those changes to the best of your ability, not to compromise yourself or the politics of the book, but to uh, address the sorts of uh, uh, issues that might be there. Uh, for readers, and I think I think it's still on the TLC website. Um, me saying, me quote, you know, quote going, that was the five best five hundred quid I've ever spent in my life. So, you know, I'd say to people, have it read, have it read. I mean, later on, of course, you have a you have an agent, you have people that are doing this, but at the for, for the first book, you you don't have that kind of support. Well, as an author, I, my, I've worked for the last five years on and off in a special school. So uh, my life has been consumed with, uh, with uh, teaching autistic kids Chinese and English and drama and stuff. So if you need any, uh, any of, you want to hear my experiences with autistic kids, which are uh, up and down and left and right and sad and, and hilarious all at the same time, I can let you know about that. Well, that's, thank you, Stephen. The, the, the reason why this book the guy's autistic is because I discovered I was diagnosed in 2017 as being on the autistic spectrum. And so it's, um, that's a revelation to me. I, I always knew something wasn't right. I always knew that there was something about me that, that, that was different. Um, but I got diagnosed in 17. And um, so a, a, the lot of the book is a, me learning. I, I mean, I said to somebody the other day, if this current book is never published, um, in a way, it doesn't matter because I learned such a lot by writing it that mm. um, it has served it has served me, if you like, um, a huge service um, by actually reflecting on my life and and coming to understand some of the things that in my life. And it, you know, was when. I, but again, you know, it's again because I'm typical, aren't I? It's the Chinese diaspora. He's he's white and English. Um, but he's working on a rubber plantation in Malaya during the Japanese occupation. So you have the same thing. You've got a war, you know, to make, if you look at that, people go, oh, that's very long way from the first one. I'm like, no, it isn't. You've got a British colony. Yeah. You've got a war. 
Okay, yeah. you've got a multicultural community. You've got the Malay, the Chinese, the Indians. Okay, you've got a communist. Every one of my books has got a priest and a communist. Okay, you've got a <laughs> communist and a priest. <laughs> it's not that far away from the the first three, no. politically speaking. Yeah, and actually, that I think that's why I enjoyed these books so much because it is one of the very very few books that I mean, my background being Malaysian. Um, my parents live in Malaysia right now, and so it's like one of the few books where um, the the politics and the you know the dreams of people um, was written about was discussed. You know, you don't really don't really hear about that as much in a lot of the um, post colonial you know hierarchy and all that stuff that's in the book. Yeah, it just was so familiar to me, even though I've, I've been to Jamaica one time, you know, I didn't really, I have no idea about what it would be like to live there, you know. Yeah, so it's not, it's not at all, not at all far, I think. That's great. Yeah. But um, just kind of going back to what you said about like a Jamaican Chinese diaspora, um, I think what's really an amazing coincidence is Stephen wrote a play called Jamaica Boy and so like when I was I read that play and then when um and then I read Pow and I was like oh my gosh is this based on Pow but it was like completely just a coincidence completely stuck yeah yeah I mean my my way into Jamaica Boy writing that play was uh was coming from probably how someone as an audience reads your play uh, your book your novel Pow I was um always at school um, me and my friends would always do Jamaican accents with each other and listen to bashment and ragga music and talk in patois for fun. And it's when I had my English teacher, Jamaican English teacher told me, you think, you think that's something that's funny and different, but it's actually a real thing. There are, you know, Chinese Jamaicans and there's a whole community of Chinese uh, diaspora people that are in the Caribbean that you don't know about. And at that time in my life, I was getting really interested in uh, the Chinese diaspora, being a, my dad being a Malaysian Chinese. And so and that's where it sparked my interest from. And then later years down the line, I, I was thinking, well, what do I want to see on stage? I've always wanted to see things I've never seen on stage before. And this uh, having characters of Chinese, Chinese Jamaicans on stage is something I thought would be uh, something that you could, you know, learn about a, a world that we didn't know about just like your novel. Mm. Yeah, this is my- Well, uh, I read that play as well. I read that play as well. Uh, and uh, I, I was like, oh my, my goodness. But I realized that they were completely, I mean, because we didn't know each other at that point. Yeah. So I realized that they were completely separate things, but I thought, oh my goodness, wow. And then of course, when Stephen turned up, um, for the for the uh, the table read for um for for the pad for the TV series that that's a, and the funny thing is I I have a cousin called Stephen who, and when oh. Stephen emailed me and I saw the thing Stephen who I thought it was my cousin and I thought oh what's he emailing me about and then I realized um it wasn't my cousin. Great. So that was quite funny. But doing that reading was was um what was great about that was um. I think what was was getting those East Asian actors together. I think they're Bruce Chong, and um, and D David Yip was actually in the reading too, mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. you know having people performing with a with a you know their best efforts of a Jamaican accent was a uh, was <laughs> so much fun for us. 
But who knows how how it was received by the people that came to the development reading? Maybe because it's six years ago now. Maybe they were kind of like, "This is just so far outside my I just, idea." I feel like they might be ready for it now. That's what I'm thinking. Like, yeah. Right. Like now, it's it, we're in a different climate. I I, I think. <laughs> I don't know. That that room was full though, and if you remember that read. It was standing room only, and apparently somebody told me that those reads happen once a month, and they're never that they're never that full. I mean, it really was packed that room. I'd always said that um, if someone bought Pal, you know, I I said uh, uh, reasons I carried on writing it was two reasons. I wanted to write to see if I could write a work of fiction that someone would publish, and the second reason I've always said is that I wanted to give my father a a better and longer life than the one he actually had. So that's why I kept on and on and on writing this thing that nobody wanted. But I, I, I said, all right, that's okay, that's fine. Bloomsbury's bought it. And if they only print two copies, one for me and one for my mum, that'll be absolutely fine. I, I'm happy with that. You know, I, I, I have done those two things. I've written a work of fiction that somebody was prepared to publish. And I've given my dad a longer and better life than the one he had. So I, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm all fine. So everything that's happened since two copies have been, been printed has been an absolute, uh, you know, ama absolutely amazing to me. So I, I, the journey I've had since Power was published is a journey that I never imagined. So, um, you know, I can't. So how much did I can't you, say more than that. So, how much did you actually take? What take? But how much of your father's life it actually inspired Pow? Like, very curious about that. Well. <clears throat> if you imagine, I'll give you two answers to that, right? If you imagine that you're so like five years old, you have no idea what is going on, okay? So when you're five years old, you'll, you'll witness things that you have no understanding of what's going on. And then when you're, how old was I? Um, I can't remember, much, much older. <laughs> you decide that you're going to make up what you think might have been going on which obviously is not the truth, right? It may be, or it may not be. You actually have no idea, okay? But you get this germ of an idea from a child's misremembered uh, whatever, and then you make it up. So, I mean, most of what's in PAL isn't true, and I, I, I know it isn't true. It's not even me saying, I think I remembered that. that well, I don't remember that. that. I'm just, you know, I'm just... Um, you know, there's this fanciful Chinese chap <laughs> wandering around Kingston up to um, no good, which is, I didn't even, when I was a kid, I didn't even think it was no good. I just thought that was like life. It was only as an adult, you think, oh, hang on, well, hang on a minute. So um, it's made up, um, you know, at one point, I think I say, power is my father half remembered and half imagined, but I don't think it was half remembered. I think it was half um, imagined and half imagined. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but my mum said, my mum said, when she read, uh, she read uh, the first draft of Power, or whichever draft she read, she said, um, I can see where you got the idea, but your father wasn't anywhere near as successful, or as clever, or as funny. So it's just the idea. I mean, Power. It's just the idea of my father, the, the idea that you can have some guy running around Kingston, Chinatown, up to no good. And um, and then just me, so just good. just that germ of an idea, deciding that he, he is nothing like my father. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, 
He's a lot more fun than my father ever was. <laughs> but I, I could imagine it's just because we get into the mind of how, like you're saying, he's telling his story. But I could always imagine what it would be like to step outside and look at him, you know, from far and eyes um, and not see necessarily all that goodness or kindness. So he, he does a lot of bad things. He does a lot of bad things, doesn't he? <laughs> really? But he just really, you make us love him. So we, we forgive them all. Everybody, <laughs> everybody right. loves him. He does a lot of bad things. If you really analyze the things that Pal does, it's not good. But everybody loves him. Yeah. Oh, you know. That's why it's like a TV series, like, um, you know, I guess like Peaky Blinders now or... Uh, which I haven't actually. Sopranos. You, you see, The Sopranos oh. is my favorite TV. Really, series I of don't all find time. them likable though. <laughs> so that's the only reason. Yeah, I did watch it all, but yeah, I did not find them likable. How is likable? I don't know if I found them likable, but I was addicted to it. I've watched. Is it eighty-six episodes? I can't remember, but I've watched it three times. So. Um, oh I've, been obsessed with, I've been obsessed with gangsters my whole life right yeah. you know peaky blinders now um but um boardwalk empire the sopranos goodfellas which is just an amazing all of that stuff you said something um about uh, being diagnosed with autism in 2017 why be diagnosed like what sort of led to that okay well what i mean i've always known my whole life, I've I've always known that there's something different about me, about the way that I um, I don't understand jokes or that I find social interaction really difficult. You, you know, there's loads of things about me that I've always known and that other people have sometimes called varyingly rude, arrogant, um, selfish. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because, right? So I've known that, I've known about that my whole life. And then um, I was working with someone, um, not doing creative, but I was working with someone, doing a lot of writing, uh, workplace writing stuff. And one day she said to me, and I'd been working with her for a couple of years, I think. So she knew me quite well by this point. And she said to me, have you ever thought maybe you're autistic? And I went, no, I've never thought that. <laughs> um, and I knew she, uh, for her own personal reasons, I know she knows about that if you see what I mean, right? So when she said it to me, I thought, this is a serious thing. She's not just saying that, she, she knows about this sort of thing. So she's, she's asking me this, because she's observed me working. Um, and then the other thing about it is that I noticed that I, as well as those things that I've been in England for like, you know, over 50 years, and I still haven't adjusted culturally. I still don't get the English, I still, don't you know I don't understand and they don't understand me and so so I was like really really can culture shock really last <laughs> like 60 years you know 50 surely I should have adjusted by now you know um and then of course there's a problem with the racism you know when I was a kid I came here at 10 there's a lot of racism to deal with I don't need to go into all of that with you you know um and so the combination of the racism and the culture shock um and uh uh, me being strange anyway it's it all sort of I and because of my own personal history there were lots of reasons why I felt like maybe there it, there was a reason why I didn't fit in but I didn't fit in I always knew that 
But I always thought, oh, there's a reason why. So anyway, when she said to me, um, have you ever thought you're autistic? I was like, no, I've never thought that. But what, what we did then do is I did a couple of online like, you know, the tests, a couple of online tests that Stephen would know about. And they definitely did say I was. So I said, well, that's not good enough doing a couple of online tests. So we have to go and do this properly. So I rang the Autistic Society and um, and I, I, I actually cried on the phone because it was the first time I telephoned anywhere and asked some questions and got answers that didn't leave me feeling that I need to ask the question again in a different way. Okay, so that's one of the problems that I have is that, and that's why I like things in writing. <laughs> that's why I like it in writing. Can I read it over and over and over? Oh yes, I understand that. But when people say things to me, I don't always get it or believe them. So if the plumber comes and I go, oh, have you changed the tap on the thing? And he'll go, yeah. And then I'll go, so does that mean you've changed the tap on the thing? And he'll go, yeah. And we'll do this four times. Yeah. And in my past, what would happen is I'd go in the shop, say, and after four times, the shop assistant would feel like I like treat me like I'm a difficult customer. They'd feel like I'm a difficult customer or I'm criticizing them. It would go, it would go skew it, right? All of these kinds of social encounters. So I'd had that experience my whole life. And um, when I rang the Autistic Society and I asked them my questions and she answered them and I, I had the answer, I didn't feel like, oh, I need to ask again. It made me cry because it was a first experience and it's no surprise that that happened with the Autistic Society. So anyway, she said um, about getting the diagnosis and the and Stephen will know this as well, how difficult it is for an adult, you know, because mostly it's children. And, and, and it's a gender thing as well, isn't it? A lot of female adults. Yeah, so it's like they, they focus on boy children. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so a woman adult is not, you know, she said uh, you could be waiting. Yeah, first of all, you go to the GP and then a maybe decide to put you on a list or that list might be six months you know long and then maybe da, 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 da. so anyway um i took her recommendation for uh uh um, what do you call it an organization i suppose you call it anyway long story i went down to london uh did the diagnosis um with the psychiatrist and the thing of me and um yeah sure enough there you are but what's been interesting for me about it is that it has you know, with a diagnosis like that, I think for some people, the possibility exists that you kind of disappear into the diagnosis, yeah? But what it's done for me has, it, is, it has enabled me to understand what is happening in these social situations that I've always felt confused about and where I've always messed them up. I've been get up into terrible arguments with people, yeah, about... Um, whether or not whether or not what they're saying was logical or accurate or you know all this kind of stuff and they, and I can't I can't recognize when somebody else is getting upset okay so it's like they're saying all this stuff and I'm like no that's not correct that's not correct because what the, I remember that it was da 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 and then you said da 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 da, da or the film was da 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 and I don't see that they're, they're getting upset. They're not talking about what I'm talking about anymore. They're just getting upset and I don't, you know, so I end up in loads of arguments with people. What the diagnosis has helped me to do is to manage myself and social situations better so that if I, if I have to ask the question twice, then I stop. I said, well, actually, does it matter whether or not I get an absolutely accurate answer or not? No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
you know, you lost the keys. Was that before or after you went to the dentist? It actually doesn't matter to keep asking that question. The other person just gets upset. The, the point is the keys are lost and something's got to be done about it. But yeah, so if I say now, say now to the plumber, I'm autistic. I'm going to ask you four times whether or not the sign, 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 sign. And people are great. The plumber is, is great he, he, because he's not getting irritated. He doesn't feel like I'm not listening to him. He doesn't feel criticized by me or whatever. He knows, he understands what is happening. Yeah? I have to have information. I was trying to claim, I'd done some work for a university. I was trying to claim the money. The ad, admin person was trying to help me claim the money. And she was like, I can't go with that. I have to go, okay, da-da-da, is that correct? Then da-da-da, is that correct? Da, da, da. You must answer the question by saying yes or no. Is that correct? Yes. Then the next question, is that correct? No. Then what is the, do you see what I mean? Now, and nowadays, I'm able to say to these people, I'm autistic. This is what's going to happen. Okay. And it's made everything go much more smoothly because they understand what is happening and they feel like they're being helpful rather than before they felt like they were being judged. Yeah, which puts them in a better frame of mind um, and which make, enables me to ask and gather information in a, in a way that I can manage. Okay, so from a social point of view, um, it's been hugely, you know, so it's like nowadays, if I have to, not nowadays because we've got COVID, but in the old days when you go and I do a function, say I, I read a thing, and then it's this awful moment where you're supposed to stand in the bar and network, which I can't do. I used to feel terrible. I used to stand there on my own and feel terrible, like nobody wants to talk to me, or I try and talk to people and they just walk off. I mean, literally just walk off because I'm not interested to talk to, right? And then I'd end up talking. But nowadays it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I sit there quietly and I eat my lunch and it, it doesn't matter anymore. I don't have to feel bad about myself because nobody wants to talk to me. It doesn't, I don't, I'm not trying to mimic uh, what neurotypicals are doing trying to pretend to be neurotypical anymore I'm just like I'm here if you want to come and talk to me about something meaningful that's fine but don't come and talk to me about the weather or efters because I can't I can't <laughs> do that uh, I don't like doing it so um it's it's it made my life better and it's helped me also to understand why I it's you see the other thing is those autistic traits have helped me because it means I can write the same draft of POW seven times over <laughs> and over and over. I was just going to ask, like, when it's a the gift editor, in a editor says, you have to rewrite it. I go, oh, yes, I'm very happy. I'll go off and I rewrite it. Do you see what I mean? So it's like those traits have worked. The lockdown's been brilliant. I've had a wonderful time because there's been no social expectation. <laughs> yeah? So, so um, I've, I've chosen my profession well. It's a solitary thing that I do over and over and over, and it, it, it suits me. So it, I don't feel, I feel that having the diagnosis has improved my life a hundredfold or whatever it is. There's been no downsides to it because now I've understood after all this time, I've understood and I can manage myself and, and situations much better. And, now, and I'm happy doing what I'm doing because I love doing the same thing over and over. I was uh, going to ask you about your process as a writer. And um, I was thinking that, you know, you know, maybe with the gift of autism helps you to mathematically look at your structure and plot and things in a kind of more, uh, you know, mathematical way 
for want of a better word, and that's a that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially the amount of information that I work with, with the dates and all the history yeah. and the politics. I work with a huge amount of information, and um, and because I have such a brilliant memory. Um, you know, when I'm working at, the, at my school, I feel inadequate because these gifted kids who are amazing at maths, they're waiting from they've given they've completed their maths, they've given it to me to correct. And it's there. I'm slower at marking their work than they were doing it. <laughs> they're getting pissed off with me because I'm taking too long and they want me to hurry up because it was easy for them. And I'm like, just give me a moment. Just give me a moment. And then they can go. They're like, hurry up so we can go to playtime. I'm like, look, I'm not as good as maths at you. You need to help me out here. <laughs> but how does this um, affect, like, when when this um, got into the TV development thing? Like, how do you navigate that? Because it's someone taking your story, and was there a gap between your expectations and what um, ended up sort of becoming the pilot? Well, you know, I think a person, me, you have to accept that you do what you do, okay? So I wrote the book. I didn't try to design the cover. Right. <laughs> right? I didn't try to, do, do you know what I mean? So that's, that's, that's what I know. I'm not a script writer. I don't know how to do that. I know how to do this, and that was my contribution. And now somebody else is making their contribution because they know how to do it. And the person who designed the cover is making their contribution. They know how to do that. And I think that you have to trust that um, you've made your contribution and that other people have contributions to make also, and that everybody is trying to do the same thing. We're all at that point in time, or say writing a book, we're all trying to publish a book that we hope is going to sell. So they're doing the cover designers, like you said, oh, great covers. They're trying to sell a book as well. You know, we're all, we're all on the same side. <laughs> and a script writer is trying to write a script that we can sell. We're all on the same side. So you made your contribution, you help in whichever way you're asked to help, but you leave people to do what it is that they that they know how to do. That's teamwork. That's what that's what you do. You know, I can't run around and think, oh, I can I can be a producer, I can be a scriptwriter. I can mm -hmm. I can't. I I made my contribution, and you just have to you have to go with that. You know, and everybody everybody makes the, the, the scriptwriter didn't suggest that she's going to rewrite my novel. <laughs> Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah, the actors are the actors. I didn't tell Stephen how to act the part. That's the director's job. It's between him and the director. I just sat there, um, and we all had fun practicing their Jamaican accents. But <laughs> I mean, you do hear some of the horror stories of, like, for example, um, the crazy rich Asian. I mean, whatever you might think about the movie, but um, they. I know that they went through several sort of some situations where a studio or whatever suggested that the lead be changed to a white person. <laughs> you know? So there are, I guess, like, you have that trust in your team to do their job. Did you give them any stipulations or you just knew, okay, these people know what they're doing. I'm going to trust that they know what they're doing. Well, only for the simple reason, I suppose, is that they proved that they did. No one ever made any kind of suggestion that made me think, oh, I'm not, <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't think that's what this okay. book is about. Uh, you know, so it's like, we were a team, we were a team from the beginning. And I think everybody 
everybody who's involved in that entered into that partnership or into that team because we were all enthusiastic about the book and we all wanted to see everybody says oh this should be a movie or it should be a tv series um we were all enthusiastic about the project if you like and everybody was contributing the skills that they have because of their background to that project and i know Stephen will say this i mean actually you know one of the things i, I came across a photograph uh the other day of a photograph that we took um, I think it was after the read. I think it was after the read. And we're, we're all there in this photograph. And it was such a lovely family, happy team. Yeah. That we thought it, it was. Yeah, I remember. And everybody was 100% committed to that project uh, and bringing to that the, the, the things that they brought to it. And, you know, the fact that that team didn't go on to do something more together is, is a sadness. But that photograph, I don't know where it is now, but it completely sums up that feeling of family that we had during that time and during that process. And Stephen's nodding, he was right. Yeah, and I'm, I, I think there's, you know, inshallah, there, there's a hope in the, there's, you know, that moving forward, that something will happen. I, I'm just curious, because I know that you said you've gone off all social media. Um, oh, about, but you have your website, don't you? It's a very basic website. I stripped it right down and removed everything personal from it. So it's just, there I am, here are the books, info, info at carryyoung.co.uk. Um, I removed everything. Um, I just, um, I don't know, I just felt like, the books, someone said to me at the end of an interview, where can we find you? And I was like, what, what do you mean? Where can you find me? Just like, you know, on social media. And I was like, you can't, you can't find me. Don't find me. You know, read the books. Love like, that. That's my contribution. My contribution is not me. My contribution is the books. So if you, if you enjoy the books, you enjoy the books. You don't need to know what my favorite color is or where I went on holiday, <laughs> what flavor ice cream I like, you know, that, that's not, that's not my contribution. So I, I, I got rid of, and I also, I, I found on Twitter, I had nothing to say. That was the point. And every now and again, I retweeted something else. <laughs> some, 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 and I was like, what, 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 what a complete waste of time. And I was using Facebook to notify. I only ever used my Facebook page Oh, I ended up having to have a profile page because I wanted to use the author page to um, notify of readings and things that I was doing and so on. And um, I never liked having the profile page. People wanted to be friends with me and I didn't want to be friends with them. I didn't want to be friends with anybody. So there was all these people trying to be friends with me and I didn't <laughs> want to be friends with them. <laughs> and then I just thought, do you know, I just don't, you know if it's just like read the books that's that's my contribution that's what i have to say not not be taking photographs of my birthday party to post up for you to you know not that i have birthday parties i barely get any birthday parties. that's my fault because i don't have any friends they never hate it when i say that they go you keep saying you haven't got any friends but i'm your friend like, oh, yeah okay maybe <laughs> You are merely an acquaintance. <laughs> You're merely an acquaintance. It's somewhere beyond an acquaintance. 
I thought it was interesting when you're talking about Pau and um, how the, how he is nothing. He the genesis of him was your father, but then um, you moved on from that. And I had a similar thing as a writer where I felt constricted if I was really trying to write the character of my mother, and I had to mm. let go. And only by letting go can you go other places. And um, <clears throat> that's something that resonated with me when you were talking about Pau then and you know character writing characters that are similar to your family members or based on them initially well i think my my father's dead now he died a long time ago 69 but i think if he were alive and he read pal i think he'd be very pleased <laughs> <He'd> be like, <laughs> oh <laughs> really <laughs> really Is that, could that be me oh my goodness i'm fantastic <laughs> you know I, I think he wouldn't recognize himself but the pal pal that's been portrayed in the book i think he was he'd think was a fantastic chap and i really wish that he he was more like him because he's, he's not my father at all but i think my dad would have liked to have been pal well thank you so much for your time i love this conversation um if you have anything else that you want to add but these books are great and like you're saying <laughs> read the books <laughs> so read the books don't try to add kerry young on twitter or instagram because she doesn't <laughs> want you she is not your friend <laughs> <laughs> i am not your friend and i just wrote the books and enjoy the books that's all that's my contribution. That's a good enough contribution for me. Thank you so much. It's nice to see you, Stephen, after all this time. And and you, and I hope that we end up in a in a in a development reading soon. I hope so. Yes, that would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs>